Welcome to Funding the Dream, the number one podcast for the number one crowdfunding platform, Kickstarter. Now here's your host, Richard Bliss. Several months ago, news was made when Wizards of the Coast filed a lawsuit against Hex, a fully owned subsidiary of Cryptozoic. Hex had been on Kickstarter in June of last year, 2013, and raised $2.2 million. But this year, Wizard of the Coast was claiming that Hex, an MMO, online trading card MMO, we're going to get into the details of exactly what it is. Uh, Wizard of the Coast felt that it was too close to their game, Magic the Gathering, and they sued uh, all kinds of stuff. A lot of legal mumbo-jumbo that was in that lawsuit about what they were trying to claim, what the issue was. And so to kind of sort it out, what I did is I reached out to a gentleman who wrote an excellent blog post to explain what was going on, how uh, they could bring a lawsuit, and whether you, I thought I'd bring them on and talk to you, my listeners, whether you should be concerned about somebody suing you about some work that you do on Kickstarter. So my guest is Doug Lynn. Doug is the um, attorney with Doug, it's Lynn and Grindel. Is that right? Yes, Richard. Thanks for having me on. Well, I'm thrilled to have you on. We've been going back and forth over the last several months uh, when this first broke, and you wrote an excellent article out on uh, the website called Quiet Speculation about explaining a little bit about what was going on. So let's, first of all, let's tell people a little bit about you. You, you are an attorney. Your website is lynnlegal.com. You're in the Cincinnati area. And uh, how long have you been practicing law? Um, I've been practicing uh, for a, a bit over, I'm in my fourth year now. I do mostly business law. I tell people whenever money changes hands, I'm the attorney for that. Uh, I handle business formation, I'm growing a business, handling your employees. I also do estate planning and civil litigation. So I know a lot of people go into law because they want to avoid math, but I happen to enjoy it. So I do all the stuff that other attorneys balk at. And one of the things you do is write very well, but most attorneys that see up here, is, they get a lot of practice writing. And you wrote an excellent report on this whole lawsuit. Um, and one of the reasons that you seem to understand it so well is that you are a Magic the Gathering player. Is that correct? Yes. Um, I'm, I have been playing Magic for probably over 20 years now. I remember getting some of my first cards in fifth grade. And um, I love Magic. I also happen to really like intellectual property law. I don't practice it, but I have a... a I, uh, great, great enjoyment of it. I, I love those classes in law school, and I have several colleagues who practice it that we bounce ideas off of. So, yeah, knowing knowing magic gave me a thing. I think an insider's view of what the claims were being made here, what kind of claims they were making. Well, let's just jump right into it so that people understand what's going on. They, <laughs> a lot of people in the Kickstarter community, gaming community, magic community, uh, everybody is aware of the lawsuit. What are the details? Who's suing who, and what are they suing them for? Okay, so Wizards of the Coast is suing Cryptozoic slash Hex, which I'll just be referring to as Hex, for a variety of intellectual property claims under uh, the theories of patent, trademark, and copyright. And we can just do a 20,000-foot view on those in a moment. But going into this, I want to I preface something here. Um, Wizards of the Coast and Hasbro has a somewhat deserved bad reputation in the gaming community for being litigious. Um, you have to separate their back history from this and think uh, that uh, is, this is just one big giant game developer trying to crush a tiny game developer. That's not the case here. It's one company with an established bundle of property rights um, protecting those rights against another community. Now, Cryptozoic is a multi-million dollar company. It's not a guy in a garage 
who's being squashed by big suited Manhattan lawyers. So I, w- I want to make that clear to everybody going in. We got to be fair about this. So what you're saying is, is that Hasbro, Wizards of the Coast, has had a reputation of squishing the little guy and using their, their money and their lawyers to squish him. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. So back, so there's a mechanic in magic called tapping. And basically you turn a card sideways. It exhausts that card's ability for the turn. Um, that was among other things patented back in about 1997, I believe. And, um, as a re- and that was when the card games were booming. People remember that that was, you know, Magic hit Gen Con in 1993. By 1994, Magic owned Gen Con and was just a, a huge big deal, owned figuratively. And then you got a whole bunch of different games coming from it. Legend of the Five Rings, Shadow Fist, uh, Star Wars, all these other games. And a lot of them were using the same tapping mechanics as Magic was. And so uh, the Wizards of the Coast had a very valuable game, and they wanted to protect their specific game mechanics and um, patentable things from infringing copycats. And they did that. And a whole lot of these game companies got shut down because, and the games died because, right or wrong, they couldn't afford to defend their claims against Wizards of the Coast. And a lot of people hold a lot of, a lot of grudges against them. Um, I know that Dungeons and Dragons, which is also currently owned by Wizards of the Coast, went through some other litigious phases while it was uh, being acquired and newly owned by Wizards of the Coast. So they are not uh, shy about getting lawyers involved. Got it, got it. So the, 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 the characterization that they're picking on the little guy, eh, maybe that's a stretch, but they, they have been demonstrated their willingness to use their lawyers to uh, defend what they think is where they think that they have an opportunity to either win yeah, or take and, a Yeah, you know, stance. Hasbro is a multi-billion dollar company, and they get that way by having protectable copyrighted characters and right. licenses. Right. Okay. So in this case, they go up against Cryptozoic, who's got this game Hex. And they. And so let's explain real quick what Hex is so that people understand, because we're not talking about a card game where you actually can touch the cards, Is correct? Correct. Uh, my understanding is that Hex is a, a, an online-only card game, um, sort of like Magic, sort of like Hearthstone, with the idea that you play, you assemble a deck of cards online, um, you acquire them, you can trade them, um, and then you play a game. And Hex, I think, really, and I think part of the success of its Kickstarter campaign was that it really embraced the idea of what can we do in the in the, the boundless realm of a digital-only thing. A card can have a back that changes during the game. A card can get gem sockets that you put in it that it, it permanently changes the card's effect for, its, for however long you own it in your collection. So I think that was one of the captivating things about it. That's kind of uh, cool. Yeah, I think it was really wild. I remember looking at it and thinking, you know, Wizards of the Coast needs to be worried about this game because it looks really neat. And they were worried. They, felt, <laughs> they were apparently they worried. Because they thought, no, it doesn't look really neat. It looks just like our game called Magic, and we are going to sue. Exactly. And so what now we're going to talk about kind of what what is the lawsuit and and then we'll go, this will allow us to now explain patent, copyright, and trademark so that people who are doing their own Kickstarter can understand some of the nuances of this. Absolutely. So let me start from the top, uh, with, which is the, the, one of the easier ones to knock out, the patent. Wizards of the Coast had a series of patents that it owned. These patents have uh, since expired but were legal when the uh, lawsuit was filed, alleging that Hex appropriated some of Magic's um, patents including um, using a pool of cards to make a collectible card deck. I think there were patents, uh, alleged patent infringements on tapping, things like that. Um, for, for non-lawyers, 
out there. Patent is one of those areas of the law where you do it and nothing else, and you can't even defend a speeding ticket if you're a patent lawyer because you spend all your time doing patent law because it is very complex. But so are, you, I, are you saying that all those patents that we've all joked about and kind of just shook our heads that they've gotten a patent for, they've expired now, so I could create a game that allows tapping? Yes, a uh, patent exists. It lives for only 17 years. Um, and in, depending on, on what time and uh, it was created to comply with some international treaties, it's about 17 to 20 years. Um, and it's and been that, that long, hasn't it? Wow. Yeah, no, it's been, been that long. I think they expired in July of this year. Okay, okay, good. So, so we got the patent. Thing. Yeah. So, and, and basically, what they had patented was that they had patented some some game mechanics and some original ideas of making the game. There are use patents or utility patents. Um, there is there's this consistent question in the board game community of can, uh, and can you patent a game's mechanics? Can you patent, for example, how you play D and D? Is any of that protectable? And the answer is. We don't really know. We have pretty good ideas about what's patentable and what's not, but all of this stuff gets really determined by lawsuits. And for the most part, the gaming industry doesn't have enough money so that they can actually litigate this stuff up to the Supreme Court. And your state senators are not interested in changing the Lanham Act and the patent laws to uh, to, to protect IP for board games and games. So um, the, the, the patents... You probably do not need to worry about patents as a game designer with a Kickstarter project. Got it. Okay. So patents, we're not going to be too stressed about. Mm -hmm. Copyright, though, and 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 this and these this copyright patents and trademark apply whether it's a board game or not, right? If I'm doing any Kickstarter project. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And so a copyright, uh, put succinctly, is an original expression on a fixed medium. So let me give you an example: uh, a, a song engraved on a record, a uh, writing on a page. Banksy's graffiti on a wall. Here are things that are not copyrightable um, or do not create a copyright. You whistling a tune out loud with recording it, without recording it. You writing a poem on the on foggy glass and having it immediately evaporate. So it is something original that is fixed on something. And original also matters. You cannot copyright a phone book, for example. Um, and, and it is to protect an original expression of an idea. Um, your pictures, your art, your stories, your songs... Dance moves are patentable or are copyrightable. Ballet ballets are copyrightable. Um, so there's a wide variety of that, and a copyright lasts for the author's lifetime plus seventy years. Um, so it lasts unless for quite you're, unless you're Disney. Oh, <laughs> yeah. In, in which case, you get your lawyers together and you go to the Supreme Court, and it keeps getting extended. Yes, so Winnie the Pooh will never ever drop out of copyright. Absolutely not. So the idea with a copyright uh, with, in this lawsuit was that Wizards was saying um, it was a bit of a stretch. I think they're saying, look, you, you borrowed our original ideas of a fantasy world, of, of how the card frames are laid out also, because the, the layout of a card frame is a particular thing. Um, so you have the title, if you play Magic, you have the title in the upper left, the casting cost in the upper right, some art. The title, the some more information about the card below that. Um, so Wizards is saying that's one of the things you ripped off. Wizards is also saying, and one of their court documents was a list of 120 magic cards that they said were directly ripped off in Hex. And some of them you line up, and it is scary how accurate they are, even on complex cards. Um, there's a, it, for the magic players out there, there is a direct copy of Form of the Dragon 
given a different name, but the, the same general idea of that card. Okay, so it sounds like what you're saying then that, that Hasbro w- was able to look at this and say, hey, we think we've got a case because, look, we can just hold them up and any anybody could see that these have been ripped off. Yeah, and you can see that going before a jury and saying, well, here's this one, here's this one, here's this one. And there may be internal documents at Cryptozoic where the game developers are saying, I really like these magic cards and we need something in Hex that does the same thing. And it's up. It's a, really a question for a jury about whether those ideas were copyrighted and uh, copyrightable because they're not ripping off the art, um, which would obviously be a copyright infringement, but they're going for some more nebulous ideas there. We don't have a lot of time here, but I have a question that's just burning because mm-hmm. I, I'm in the tech industry and I know I heard this story over and over between Bill Gates and Steve Jobs that Apple had ripped off Windows or that Windows had ripped off Apple. And I thought that it, that was that something different that the Windows interface and the Apple interface that somehow it was said that you couldn't copy look and that you couldn't trademark or copyright look and feel um the so the look and feel is kind of an abstract idea and we don't really know where it falls into the three parts of intellectual property um if it's functional it can't be trademarked um it may be a, it may be a patentable idea but um i i really don't know a whole lot about that particular case okay all right uh, that's right i'm old so that's yeah, okay. look and feel comes into the aesthetics of it um and that can be wizards was alleging that their look and feel was copyrightable and that that was taken away got it okay and so then there's a trade was there a trademark piece of this as well there was so there's a part of trademark law called trade dress and trade dress is the non-functional aesthetic appearance of your product um, the bottle of Tide is orange. You look at that, you see the orange, you know it's Tide, right? Yep. The tide, the orange bottle doesn't make it work any better. The shape of a Coca-Cola bottle, aside from maybe being more pleasant to hold, doesn't make the Coca-Cola product any better. That's trade dress. It's how it appears in a box. It's um, it's that sort of thing. It's coloring, it's, it's smell, it's appearance. Um, and I believe in this case that Wizards was saying, um, hex cards take our trade dress. They take the um, the appearance of the cards, which they're they're you know they're talking out of both sides of their mouth, saying under copyright it matters, under trade dress it doesn't. They're saying the idea of opening a pack of cards. They're taking the the, the setup of uh, cards in a pack. They're taking the images of when you play Magic Online, how the appearance of the screens look, and they're duplicating that. Okay. So um, to cause a confusion in a consumer, and it's what that's what's behind trademark law. Is the consumer going to be confused if you make a bottle of laundry detergent that is the same color orange as Tide? If you know the the, the hurried mom in the sh- the store is she going to look at that and accidentally buy that? Because we need to protect people against that. But is that really so? They're really claiming that that people are going to be confused and think that they're playing Magic online, even though it says Hex everywhere. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's what it seems like. Okay. Um, the idea being that that these games look indistinguishable. Um, can cause confusion for people, and that wizards can't uh, rightfully market their product to consumers if there's somebody else marketing something that looks exactly the same. You can't differentiate those if you say if you show screenshots of the two games next to each other. So, so where's it going? We've got about three minutes left here. Um, so, where is it? This was done in May. Here we are. It's now October, um, going into November. Uh, not much has happened. What do we see the next steps of this whole thing happening? 
So um, both sides will try, have to turn over evidence to each other. A after that, they will start interviewing uh, and deposing the opposing parties. They, they try and win the case before it goes to trial with something called summary judgment. At that point, if neither party wins, I presume it would be settled or it would go to trial. Um, in, in any case, it's going to cost millions of dollars. Wizards has it. Hex has it only because of that successful Kickstarter project. And you gotta, so I, you, you gotta believe that they, if they hadn't had the $2.2 million of Kickstarter money, that Wizards wouldn't even have paid attention. Yeah, I mean, well, at the, yeah, there's certainly a question about that. Wizards does want to enforce all of its IP, and it's right that they should. A creator who owns those rights should, should protect it. Um, I see, uh, Hex changing its appearance to be a lot less like magic. That's a way that they could fix it in a settlement. Um, but it, it creates a, a foundational threat to Magic the Gathering online. So I think Wizards is not going to be backing down on this. And so they're not going to back down. So where does that leave those 17,000 backers? You're in a lurch because you're waiting for a game that might not ever come out, which is certainly the risk of Kickstarter. Um, you're, you may be paying for lawyers instead of paying for a game. And there's nothing you can do. I mean, you're... Just Kind of stuff. Yeah, that was that was a risk. That was a risk going in, and I know on Kickstarters they always talk about what what you're going to run into is a risk, and they should have warned people that we're making a game that skirts a whole lot closer to Magic than it appears. So if uh, if I have a so as we wrap up, if I have a Kickstarter campaign and I'm going out there, what can I do? Are there some simple steps that I can do to avoid me being the one that Wizards of the Coast comes after next time? Yes, the takeaway message is be original, be clever, be creative. Go to a world uh, unpopulated by current games. Use different ideas, different background. Don't make a game about Batman and make it flying bat, you know? Uh, be, be clever. I mean, I, it's really a disservice that Hex did to their community because they promised a great innovative game and they delivered something that looked a whole lot like a pre-existing game. If you're creating a Kickstarter... Be original. Make sure that there's nothing out out there already on the market that does what you want to do closely. But the more clever you are, the more original you are, the more successful you'll be. Is there is there anything that I can do to make sure that I've been clever enough? Is there a rule of thumb? You know, I would find people who are familiar with the genre you're in, pitch them your idea, and ask them, does that sound like anything? You know, that brings up a great point. On many of my episodes, I've told people, if you're creating a board game in particular, go get Go get some Magic the Gathering people to play your game because they love to break things. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> it's, a, it's a great way to just go find somebody who's, who, who is not emotionally vested in what you're doing. Yeah, Doug, and Magic players often play to win and not to have fun. Yeah, I think uh, well said. I'm going to leave it right there. Doug, thank you so much for joining us and kind of explaining what's going on with this and what we can expect to see from it. I, uh, and if there's any major developments, can we have you back and kind of talk about it? Absolutely. Take me, bring me back anytime you want, Richard. I enjoyed being on the show. Doug, this has been great. And Doug, before we wrap up, I know that whenever talking to an attorney, it's always important for our listeners to realize that you're not offering legal advice here, right? Right. I'm trying to give general information. If you have legal questions, you need to talk to somebody who you can make familiar about your situation. You can find a lawyer in your area to talk about the uh, intellectual property or building a business and that sort of thing. Please don't take what I'm saying here and rely on it to your detriment. Uh, I don't want to be uh, uh, subpoenaed into court to defend you here and justify my my speech here. No, you were, you were great. You just kind of helped us understand some gener generalities about what's going on, and I certainly appreciate that. You've been listening to Funding the Dream on Kickstarter. My guest has been Doug Lynn. You can find him at lynnlegal.com. 
He is an attorney in Cincinnati who has written some great content about the Wizards of the Coast cryptozoic hex lawsuit that's out there. Um, he's been on here to kind of explain to us and help us understand a little bit what's going on and how we can avoid that ourselves. Our intro and exit music is Orientation by Bureaucratic. You can listen to more of their music at soundcloud.com slash bureaucratic. Today's show is produced by Come Alive Creative. We want to thank their work and you can find them at comealivecreative.com. Thanks for listening. Take care. Thank you.